I was put, going to put a title on the, on the sermon today, I would say this. I would say that we are to live today with eternity in mind. That we're to live today with eternity in mind. So I want to speak about what it means to live today in regards to the future. Um, let's pray and let the Lord just help deal with this in our hearts. I pray. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just come before you. We thank you, Lord, for your ministering uh, presence with us today and how you've touched us in so many ways, God, and how you're working behind the scenes that we don't see. So, God, I just pray now that you would just give us revelation of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would just open up our hearts to hear, God, the minds to receive, Lord, and uh, that we would just be able to apply what you're giving to us. I pray your uh, purpose to be done and accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. So being in the first part of a new year, it is appropriate to look forward to 2014. Can you believe we're in 2014? Man, the years are flying by, aren't they? It was, just seems like 2000, which was the year it was supposed to all end. <laughs> that was 14 years ago, as we talked about earlier today. I mean, it's just time is flying, and it's, it's not slowing down. And so it's good at the beginning of every new year, it's good to maybe to look ahead a little bit and kind of anticipate what may be coming. And in all honesty, we have no idea what's in store for us, good or bad, uh, in the year coming. Only God knows that, and that's the way it's supposed to be, just so you know that. Don't go to a seer. Don't go to a fortune teller. Don't, don't go to the stars. Just know that God knows, and that's good enough. That he understands and he knows and he's got the plan all put in place and we are just to walk our day one day at a time trusting him with our future. With that, we probably could go home. You're not that lucky. <laughs> so with that in mind that God has a plan, what does that mean for us? That, see, we, we still need to walk our life with an intention or a purpose. We need to have a sense of a plan in our mind as to what we would like to see happen in 2014. And I know it's pretty popular that you know, people make New Year's resolutions and, and stuff. And I don't know if you did or didn't. I know it's not really important. But probably most New Year's resolutions last about now. And they typically are about over <laughs> for most of us when we make them. So I'm not really a, a proponent on New Year's resolutions necessarily as I am more on prayerfully looking for godly planning in my life. So how should we do that? You know, as a Christian, really, every Christian should be concerned about living today with eternity in mind. In fact, we should, over time, get pretty good at it. If we're really living a Christian life, and if we're really understanding the perspective of what God has for us, we should get pretty good at living in the moment with the future in mind. But are we? But are we? Are, are you? Am I? And I look at myself, and that's why I'm preaching this message, because I will tell you right now that this message is for me, and not necessarily for you. Um, I hope you get something out of it, but I'm preaching to myself this morning, um, so I hope that you'll bear with me in that way. Um, but it clear, clearly, though, if I truly am serving the Lord with a passion for Jesus and recognizing that uh, he really does have my best intent in mind, that I should be able to live my moments, day by day my moments, um, should be more productive for me. Um, you know, having a proper perspective on our future helps us to live in the moment, really, 
uh, better. And if I can understand that, that as fleeting as the moments are in life, as quickly as time flies, that the purpose of a fleeting moment is not just for our temporary enjoyment, not just for our, what we can get out of that moment, but really all those temporary moments added up together bring a future for me. And they bring a hope for me as I take the moments, one, at, one moment at a time, and add them all together. And I know that so often we can get skewed one way or the other. We can get so focused on thinking about eternity that we don't think it's important to enjoy the moment. Well, let me tell you, it is important to enjoy the moment. It is important to enjoy the day. It is important to have a hobby and to do things and, and enjoy the time that God gives us because he gives us these things for our enjoyment. And we shouldn't take a Christian perspective and make it so, so Christian that we can't have fun. We are to have fun in this life. Amen? You agree with me on that one? That we are to have fun. And so um, a Christian, a successful Christian's future is, com is comprised of, of multiples upon multiples of enjoyable and sometimes not so enjoyable moments all comprised together to give us a fulfilled life at the end of the day. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Now, sometimes it's, it's hard, though, to, to keep the eternity in mind when we're so caught up in the, in the uh, upheavals of the moment. Um, you know the old saying, you can get so close to the forest you can't see the trees? Sometimes we get so close to the problems that we really don't have an appreciation for what it takes to get out of the problems. Or the appreciation even for the good times because we get so wrapped up in the details. So my, my challenge this morning is that we would be able to keep our perspective while living in the moment, yet keeping an eternally mindset, an eternal mindset, so that we don't miss the opportunities that God brings us on a daily basis to bless others and to be a blessing into ourselves. That we can live eternally, but yet always be looking for the moment. Always be on guard for what God is going to place in me to help another person or to be blessed, like you blessed me today with your prayers. That was a blessing beyond blessings that you would do that, and I really appreciate that. And, and so we need to always keep the mindset of eternity, but always keep the the attention span of moments. I know that planning and the topic of future is a very important one. Um, let me just give you a, a little tidbit here that peace, we all like peace. Anybody not like to have peace in your life? Peace is a good thing. Peace is a product of hope. And hope comes from having a future. Without a future, there's no hope. And with no hope, there's no peace. So we have to be looking down the road with the promise that comes through the source of the hope, and that is Jesus Christ. The world really, even though they may claim it, they may want to offer it, the, the world offers no hope. Because there's no future, and therefore there's no peace. Look around us. Look at the turmoil in our world today. 
Look at the Middle East. Look at the financial situations. Just look around us and see the angst and the, and, and the tumultuous activities and the tension and the stress. Then tell me, where is the peace? There isn't any because there's no hope in what the world offers. The only source of hope for us is Jesus Christ. And so we need to look at that. And, and having a future comes with an intentional plan. And then an intentional living according to the plan. And I know that these, these few words saying, I have a plan or I need to have a plan, can be very stressful for some people. It's very stressful for me, I'll tell you right now, because I'm not a good planner. My wife, if she was here, she would agree with that right now. She's up with the junior youth. But in, in my struggles with my life, my problems come from my lack of planning. Can I be transparent? Can I be honest with you to say that I don't have it all put together in this area? So therefore, I'm preaching to myself that if I could plan better, if I could uh, live intentionally better, if I could live in the moment with the future in mind better, I would be happier. And maybe some of you would be as well. You know the old saying, failure to plan means planning to fail. Failure to plan means planning to fail. Um, I'm a good example of that. I'm the poster boy for that one. And, um, and as difficult as it is. But, you know, our plan that we have, it, it may be impossible, quite honestly, for us to map out our plan. Because I don't know what tomorrow holds. So it's not really a, a, a fair statement to say you have to make a plan in detail because I'm not so sure that I'll, be, I'll make it to tomorrow. Um, but, I can still, I, but I still can have an intentional perspective to have one. I, I can still have the intent to have a plan, even though that I may not be able to put the plan in place necessarily, but at least I'm living with the intent of a plan. I'm living with the intentional perspective that I have a responsibility to live wisely. I have a responsibility to be a good steward. I have a responsibility to manage my time wisely. I have those responsibilities. I'm not carefree. I'm not living by the seat of my pants. When I do, problems happen. Bigger problems happen. So I think it's really important that we focus there on the intentional living and the intentional perspective of making a plan so that we don't plan to fail. So what does it mean really to live intentionally and to try to plan intentionally? Let's, let's lay some groundwork first. Let's, first of all, let's find an example of a good planner. You know who a good planner is? God. God is the ultimate planner. He does nothing without a plan. Understand that God is not a God of the seat of the pants. God is a God of the planner. You go through all of Scripture from the very first account of Genesis when he created the universe and how he planned everything and spoke everything in order to come to pass according to his plan. You know, beginning with, with the creation, look at Noah's Ark. Look at how God planned it out with Noah. Go read the account of, of, of the planning process that God gave to Noah to, to work over a hundred years to build an ark when there wasn't even rain. Never even had seen a flood, but yet God was planning this all out. He planned the, the delivery of uh, the uh, Israelites out of Egypt. How God 
planned Moses to be at the burning bush. And even before that, how he planned the whole life of Moses to be in the desert for 40 years to prepare him for the burning bush experience. And, and all the things before that, even back to the Nile River as a baby in the, in the rushes there and, and, and found and then living and growing up in Pharaoh's courtyard to understand all it is to be a governor and all the things it required. And, and then going back into how he brought all the plagues in place and how he orchestrated all that. There was, that's not haphazardness. That's not, a, that's not by luck or chance. That's a plan. How God built the temple and how he, how he very clearly went through and gave all the instructions how to build the temple. And you can read that in First Chronicles. I, I'm not going to read the scriptures because it's, it's an awful lot. But to go through and just see the intentional aspect of God's planning. You see, David was not allowed to build the temple, but his son Solomon was going to because of David's um, all the bloodshed and all the things that God had his reasons why David couldn't but but he gave David a plan to pass on to Solomon his son and verse 19 of first chronicles chapter 28 it says this all this David said and if you go back prior to this he's just laid out the whole plan of the tabernacle I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. So even with God's ability to plan, he includes mankind in it. He allows us to understand the details as needed in the plan for our life. God gives us the details for living a life for him without exception you do not you will not have an excuse when you stand before God someday to say God I didn't know your plan he's going to say no I gave you your plan you just weren't listening I'm very intentional about the plan I'm giving you if you will only listen and if you will apply it and if you'll seek it out the plan is there God wouldn't allow your life to go without a plan he would not allow you to be haphazard. He would not put you as the only person that ever walked the earth without a plan. And he gives us the ability then to do it. If you go to the next verse, verse 20, it said, David also said to Solomon, his son, he encouraged him. He said, be strong and courageous and do the work, Solomon. <laughs> do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. David just gave Solomon a big to-do list. He just laid it all out, how to build the temple, the size of the buildings, the portico, all of the details of it. And if I'm like Solomon or if Solomon's like me, it's overwhelming. And all of a sudden the details come crashing down and there's just no way can I do that. In fact, maybe that's why I don't like January too much. When I was in college, Januarys would always kill me because I would, beginning of a new semester, the, I would see all the work that had to be done in that particular um, semester coming up with all the grades and all the classes, all the labs, all the engineering, all the stuff, and I would get overwhelmed, and Chris and her wisdom would say, Mike, would you stop it? You just got to take one day at a time. The, the professors aren't expecting you to get all this done tomorrow. It's going to take six months or three months, whatever the semester was, to get this done. And so there was a lot of wisdom in that. And David comes to Solomon, his son, and he said, I've just, I've just given you an awful lot, Solomon. 
But let me tell you, though, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't sit in your hands. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't sit down on the job. Do the work, but understand that the Lord your God, the Lord my God, is with you, Solomon. He's with you, Solomon, and he will help you. He will not fail you or will forsake you until all the work for the service is done. In other words, he's going to finish it up with you. He's not going to leave you wanting with the work that he's prepared for you. It's a pretty powerful example, isn't it? But what does it have to do with me and you today? Well, can I, can I assure you this morning that God is still in the planning business if you're in the listening business? God is still willing to give you the plan if you're willing to listen to the plan. But you have to be willing to listen. See, there's that responsibility part that maybe we don't like to hear about. Maybe we just like the fact that God's going to come in and be the, the magical wand or he's going to be the little shoe elves that are going to come at night and bake all the shoes. <laughs> that doesn't work out that way, guys. I'm just sorry. As much as the fairy tales would say it would, it doesn't. The little elves don't come in to make the shoe for the shoe cobbler. He's got to make the shoes, okay? We have to make our shoes. We have to do the things. But God is the planner. If we'll listen, he'll give us the plan, and then he will give us the ability to do the plan, and we won't have to fret about it. But I, when I start making my own plans, when I get impatient thinking that God's forgot about me or God's plan isn't coming quick enough, and I start to make my own plans, well, now then I'm getting myself into trouble. And that's when I start getting myself overwhelmed with the details again. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is probably every Christian's favorite verse. You probably can recite it with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a what? And a future. See, God is a planning God of hope and future. He's not a planning God of distress or stress. That comes because maybe we don't have enough faith. We talked about it in Sunday school class today, right, Janine? Maybe we have, maybe we let fear overwhelm us and we lose our faith. Fear and faith are opposites. So we need to have the faith to believe that God is going to get us through and the fear then has to leave. So how do we plan as a godly person? What, what do we do? I, I think the planning process of a, of a man... Most people understand how to plan. Maybe they're not really good at it, but I think we all kind of have an appreciation for planners, and some are better than others. And I think that what I see around me and saddens me and it sometimes amazes me is the short-term, long-term planning we have. The short-term, long-term. In other words, there are a lot of people that will plan well for their financial future. They will plan it all out. How much do I have to have set aside for my retirement? How much do I have to have in my 401K? How much do I have in my IRAs? How much do I put away now on a monthly basis while I'm working so that I will have a, a solid financial future so that I can retire at 65 and then I can travel the world and I can enjoy life and, and I can do that. And, and I see a lot of people spending a lot of time doing that. And that's all good. I'm not saying that's bad at all. I think it's wisdom. I think it's wise. I think it's good. But the short-term, long-term planner doesn't go beyond that. Where I get saddened at is that people will spend all this time thinking about that, but they never think about what happens when I take my next breath. They never, take, they never think about what happens when, when, I, when I'm not retired anymore, <laughs> when I die. 
And, and, and when we stop there, we're a short-term, long-term planner. We're not taking it to the next level, which is the most important level, because that's the one that never ends. I think we all like pleasure, and as we all like comfort, and that's okay. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not preaching or promoting that we shouldn't enjoy the, the moments of living. We should, but not at the expense of eternity, because eternity lasts a lot longer than the moments. So we need to look at life differently. We need to look at the way God looks at life. And for others, maybe that don't even plan that far in advance, maybe we get too anxious, maybe we do get too impatient with planning at all. We just want everything right now. We're an immediate satisfaction society. We want it now. We want to enjoy it now. And you know what? I don't care about tomorrow. I'm just going to live for the moment. And there's a lot in life that are doing that, aren't there? We know a lot of people that are living that way. And maybe they look at it and say, well, I just don't know that I trust this planning phase of life. But, you know, we all need to recognize that there is a sowing and reaping process. I mean, the farmer knows it. He plants his crop in the spring, and then he waits patiently for the fall, for the harvest time, when the crop then grown and ready to be harvested. It would be silly of him to plant his crop in uh, early, uh, maybe late May, and then go out in the mid-June to try to harvest it. It wouldn't make sense. He'd be destroying his crop. The corn doesn't grow that fast. But yet, when we look at some of our planning in life, we plan a little bit, then we get anxious, we want to tear it up and see if it's working or not. And we may, maybe we're better off just, just to be patient and recognize that what's going on around us, we don't always see it with our physical eyes, and that's okay. God doesn't need you to see it for him to be working in it. And I think we get impatient. Anybody can recognize, anybody agree with me on that? Anybody feel it with me? Am I alone on this? We get impatient when God's not doing something right now. He's just not coming through for me, God. So we make our own ways. We make our own strategies. And we don't include Him in the planning process because we don't see what's going on beneath the soil. Beneath their spiritual, the physical level, we don't see it. We don't see the spiritual realm where he's working. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says, The way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The ways of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. See, God sees planning in a whole different scope of um, perspective than man sees it. And, uh, and he really wants us to see it the way he sees it, if we only would. Jim Beers mentioned it in Sunday school class today, which is a great analogy, in that God's so much bigger than us, he sees our life as a big puzzle. And he sees it already completed. And all we see is one piece at a time. And we're trying to figure out where does this piece go in this big puzzle. And we look at it and get confused. We pick up another piece, look at it, get confused. We're trying to put our pieces together. And God says, I see your life as a big puzzle. And I see it already completed, by the way. And it's going to come together if you'll just trust me. If you'll just take the time to trust him and then follow his instructions along the way. Psalm 37 is a great psalm that talks about that. It says, uh, beginning at verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in a land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But then it goes on to say some things that put it 
to us. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will do what? Well, I think you could say that, I think you could go backwards here and, he, and say that he will also give you the desires of your heart so that you can delight and do good in the Lord and you can dwell and enjoy safe pasture and you can do those things because he'll give you his desires and put them in your heart. Work on his desires. Okay, that's one way to look at it. But in the other way, he says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness reward, your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Now let's think about that for a minute. We see a lot of people around us that are very successful. Um, I think you all, without naming names, I think you all can look at people that are very well off financially. Um, we can look at football players. We can look at movie stars. We can look at people on Wall Street. We can look at people in the media. We can look at people. Maybe you can even look at people on your street. And they've got it all put together financially, but yet you don't see any fruit of the Lord in them at all. You don't see any walk of salvation. You don't see anything that would say that they're a godly man. And yet you're living for the Lord and you're struggling in your finances. What do you do with it? How do you handle that? Let me tell you real simple. Don't fret. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. When they carry out their wicked schemes. Don't worry about it. Just let me give you this information. Stop looking at them. You don't need to, it's not your deal to try to compare yourself to them. You're just living your life for Jesus. Knowing that as you commit your ways to him, he will make his righteousness through you shine like the noonday sun. There will be a reward that will come to you that will last a lot longer than those that will come and go in the seasons of life and the moments of financial gain. That he will make us and he will be our vindicator and he will um, succeed on our behalf. So there's a lot of hope and a lot of truth in that that we not need to fret over people that are so-called more successful than us. Just don't go there. It's not healthy for you. It's not required. It's not necessary. In fact, it's wrong to even do that. Don't be envious of another man or another woman or another situation. Just commit your way to the Lord. Be still before Him and wait patiently for Him. And He will come through for you and your needs. He will meet your needs. Can I tell you that? He may not give you your wants because maybe your wants aren't the best for you. But He will supply your needs. He will not allow you to beg bread. He will give you what you need to live in this life and be happy and be fulfilled and have a future and have hope and have peace. That's the God we serve. That's an amazing God. Now, why can't I do that? <laughs> why can't I put that more into practice? Why do I have the angst that I have sometimes? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. <laughs> and patience is better than pride. In other words, it's not how you start. It's how you finish that matters. <laughs> Look at the Lions. <laughs> they had a great season the first half. They just couldn't finish it. 
but so much in our life as well. It's not how you start. It's how you persevere and you finish. Wow. See, the Lord is really on our side with us this morning. And, um, you know, what, what brings impatience? Can pride be an impatience factor in your life, do you think? Can, can a prideful person be a patient person? I don't know. Pride can be a factor in that we're not really thinking that God may be working with us as quick as we'd like to, so maybe we think we've got a better idea and we run ahead of God. And, and maybe we're not too quick to accept a plan that he has. We, we find ourselves looking for a workaround. And, um, and I've got to tell you, that's, I'm guilty. I, I'm guilty of that, and uh, it's not been fun. But here's, the, here's the, the promise, though, for us, that when we do that, because maybe you've done it as well, that we can liken ourselves to the, to the psalmist in Psalms, one, uh, Psalms 94. It says, You evil people are foolish. When will you learn your lesson? <laughs> you are so stupid. There's <laughs> the Bible saying this. You must try to understand God made our ears, so surely he can hear what is happening. He made our eyes, so surely he can see you. The one who disciplines nations will surely correct you. He is the one who teaches us everything. The Lord knows what people are thinking. He knows that their thoughts are like a puff of wind. See, God has a plan, even if we think ours is better. Even if we think that God has forgotten about us, God sees it all. He knows it all. So don't lose hope. God doesn't give up on us. So don't give up on yourself. Continues on in verse 12. Lord, great blessings belong to those you discipline, to those you teach from your law. You help them stay calm when trouble comes. You will help them until the wicked are put in their graves. The Lord will not leave his people. He will not leave them without help. Promises. Again, God gives us promises that his plan is for us. And as we patiently wait and we stay calm, and we just stay in his presence, that he will not leave us. He doesn't give up on us. He never will. His love will follow us to the ends of the earth. But here comes the hard part, discipline. Now, discipline is a, is a hard word. Discipline can be really two meanings. It can be discipline in the way that I'm wrong and I'm being disciplined, as I'm being you know, corrected, so I'm being disciplined in my correction. Or the other way to look at discipline is that I have an intentional desire to keep doing something. And so I'm disciplined in my actions. I keep doing the right thing. I'm disciplined. I, and, and so there's two different ways, and both of them are, are applicable here. Because God does discipline those he loves. And at the same time, we're required to be disciplined in our walking out intentional living. So we're, we're loved enough to be spanked, and then, we're, then the same disciplinarian gives us enough ability to walk through in our own sense of disciplined life, living righteously and holy before him. It's all because he loves us so much. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. Wait, I thought when I was saved, I thought everything just 
came good for me. When I accepted Jesus Christ in my life, I thought it was all over at that time. No, you see, God's Word is a training manual. We are to train ourselves to be godly. We are to read His Word and we are to um, educate ourselves and then become disciplined in our lifestyles so that we become godly people. Not self-righteous, not earning our own salvation, but as a result of our salvation, we're training ourselves to be godly. Verse 8, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, the Bible knows we're to live in the moment, and the Bible knows we're to live for the life to come. So intentional effort is required to train ourselves physically and spiritually, and both have value for today and for the future. Both of them have value for that. And then there's the sense of, of, of discipline that comes from a God that would be willing to take matters in his own hands. And thank God, God loves me enough to discipline me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 11. Have you com- completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? <laughs> this is interesting. Because he's using the word here, he's starting this, this, this passage on discipline off the way my dad used to start um, a session of spanking off. He would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> and I would say, what do you mean by that, dad? I mean, I'm the one getting the end of the belt. It's going to hurt me a lot more than it's hurting you, right? And so Jesus is there, Paul is saying here, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? In other words, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. When Father God addresses his, you as his son, it says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children, for what child is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. But true sons and daughter, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, And we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, God loves me so much that even when I run ahead of him, he's still going to discipline me and say, come on back, Mike. I love you enough to bring you back, and now I'm going to train you. All right? Now I'm going to train you. And it may seem awkward at first. In fact, I, I have an example. I have golf clubs. Did you wondering why these golf clubs are up here? This wasn't just because I'm looking for springtime, even though I can't wait for springtime. But I need somebody to help me. Who's a golfer? Somebody's a golfer. Come on. Okay, Dave, come on, I need you. I know, but I don't want to embarrass the first-timer here because he may never come back. All right, now listen, take this club in your hand right here, okay? Now, listen, the most important thing about golf is your golf grip. Are you a golfer? Oh, good. Okay, hold the club like you would if you're a golfer. All right, now. What, what any instructor will do is they'll come and the first thing they'll do is they're going to look at your grip. Okay, now a good golf grip. I'm not a good golfer, but I know, I know the grip. 
You just lay your fingers on it like this. You just wrap it in your hand, and you take your other finger, and you can overlap it or you can cross it, but you do that. And then you bring it down, and these arrows, these arrows, these line up to your shoulder, line up to your shoulder. You roll your thumb over like this, and when you get a nice grip like that, it will give you a nice swing, and you can take a nice swing, and you hit the ball a long ways. And you can hit the ball consistently time after time. That's the whole point. It's got to be in the foundation of the grip. All right, take the grip. First of all, grip what you're comfortable with and, and make a swing. All right. Let me, now let me look at your grip. All right. Now, this is the hardest part, okay? Because the instructor is going to say, oh, you've got to roll your thumb over here like that. Roll, overlap that finger over that, okay? Now, this thumb has got to go over here, okay? Now, get it like that, okay? How's that feel? Uncomfortable. Okay. That's perfect. Now, swing. Yeah, see, now that felt weird, didn't it? I mean, it felt, it feels terrible. In fact, that is exactly the point I'm trying to make. Is because when you do it right, after you've been doing it wrong, it doesn't feel right. But, thank you, you're good, thanks. But if you're going to be a good golfer, Dave... You need, to take, you need to take heed to what the instructor's saying, and you need to go to the driving range, and you need to roll that thumb over, and you need to do exactly what he said, and you need to swing that club and swing that club and swing that club until the right way seems right. Anybody that's had a golf lesson will tell you that when the golf instructor comes, the first few times you're going to really not do good because it's going to not feel right. It's going to feel wrong. You're not going to have a strong grip. Everything's going to feel weird, and you're going to say, you're screwing up my game. But if you will trust the instructor, and if you practice it, and if you apply it, believe me, you'll have a better game later in life because you learned the right way. And that's exactly what God is saying to us right now. That's exactly what he's trying to say. People, I love you so much, I need to make some spiritual corrections in your life. And it's going to seem odd. It's going to seem weird. You may not like it. It's going to seem awkward. But if you trust me, you see, we're not the master of our plan. We're not the master of our plan. God is the master planner. And when we can learn to trust Him, then our life ultimately will be fuller, more successful. We'll have more of the good moments that we can build on good moments and build on good moments to have a good future and have good hope and have good promise. But if I'm not willing to live my life today with eternity in mind, knowing that I have to go back to the fundamentals sometimes. I've got to go back and relook at my grip sometimes. And I've got to make sure that my grip is right. I've got to go back to the instruction manual. I've got to go back to the instructor, and I've got to let him be the master planner in my life. And my plans need to take a back seat to his plans because he is the planner. And now I am the student. I don't care how old I am. I don't care how long I've been in a church. I don't care how mature I think I am as a Christian. There's always more to learn. And as long as I'm teachable, as long as I can go back for that basic tune-up every once in a while, I will have a better golf game and I will have a better life. Amen? Jackie, would you come? We're going to um, celebrate communion today because this is uh, Communion Sunday. And, uh, and this is a great opportunity that as we prepare ourselves for for communion, that we do look at life this way. Because there are, there are some here this morning, myself included, I'm not worthy to take communion on my own. Just so you know that. 
I, I, my life isn't, I'm not in enough charge of my life to, to have the ability to come and partake in the Lord's Supper on my own. The only reason, the only way that I'm able to do this is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any difference how I feel. I may not feel worthy this morning, but let me tell you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, if you've, if you've said, Lord, I am your child, and yeah, I may not be doing everything right today, but my intention is that I want to get better. I have a repentant heart. I have a heart that wants to grow, not a stubborn heart of, of resistance, not a heart that says, God, I, I know you've changed my grip a little bit here, and I don't like the way you've changed it, so I'm going to go back to the one that feels good for me. That's not a submissive heart. If you're struggling with the way God has adjusted your grip a little bit, then take a lesson and, and, and say, Lord, am I really submitting to you or am I playing the game? Am I playing the game or am I really submitting? Submission is not perfect. Just, with a, just because I have a good golf grip doesn't mean I'm going to hit every shot perfectly. I'm going to make a lot of errant shots even with a good golf grip. But I'm playing the game the way the rules are intended to play the game. I'm not playing it by my own rules. I'm playing it by the master planner's rules. And that's what Christian life is all about, guys. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being so good that you don't need to be forgiven. No, it's all about needing to be forgiven. And it's all about knowing the word enough to say, Jesus, would you please forgive me? And that's what it's all about. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? <sighs> let's just take a minute before we come up and have communion. And, and let's just examine our heart. Lord, I pray that you would just um, help us to see things in the way they really are. God, if there's any level of deception in our heart and our life, I pray, God, that you would bring a sense of conviction in my spirit. And with that sense of conviction, I'm going to make a choice here. I'm going to choose to say, am I going to accept that conviction as a tweak in my life, as a change to my foundational thinking, or am I going to rebel against it and say, no, God, I'm good where I'm at. Lord, I pray that you would just be merciful and powerful. Holy Spirit, do your work today as only you can do it in the hearts of your people. If there's anyone here this morning that with all eyes closed that you want to be able to come up and enjoy communion with us, but maybe you're not comfortable, maybe you really want to know, maybe you need to make a declaration in your heart about giving your life back to Jesus. Maybe the first time, maybe the 15th time. I don't care how many times it is. This morning, if you are struggling in some areas and you just want to be sure, would you just lift your hand and we'll pray for you and we'll just say, Lord Jesus, I want to be sure that my heart is right with you and I will accept the correction of the golf grip. I will accept your correction in my life. If there's anyone this morning, I see that hand. I see those hands. Thank you. It's good. It's good that we do this on a regular basis. It's okay. It's good that we are constantly examine our heart and our life. I see your hands. That's good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you're constantly uh, checking our spirit, that you're constantly bringing us levels of conviction. And that doesn't mean that we're all out sinners. It doesn't mean that we're all out bad people. It just means you love us enough that you're constantly critiquing us. They're constantly making us better.
And for that, we thank you. So, Lord, now as we come into your communion table, we come with, we come with praise and we come with um, a refreshingness in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this message today has all been a message of hope. And it's talking about trying to encourage us to live with the point of living in the present tense, yet a focus on eternity. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says this. It says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Isn't that nice? That we can be happy by keeping the law. That we can be happy by doing the work of the Lord that he's set us to do. See, the vision that he's talking about here, the author says, where there is no vision that people perish. The vision that he's talking about here is not the vision regarding our physical eyes, what we can see physically. Because what I see physically isn't very encouraging. What I see with my physical eyes in this world is not very uplifting. It doesn't last. There's no hope in what I can see with my physical eyes. But he's talking about seeing with our spiritual eyes focused on eternity. And when I can look at godliness with that perspective, when I can look at what it is to be a godly man with spiritual eyes and I'm willing to lay my life down, I'm willing to put my life on on the cross on a daily basis and take up his purpose. And I can look with his spiritual eyes. That gives me hope. It gives me a purpose. It gives me a future and it gives me peace. That's what it means to live today with eternity in mind. Jesus said on a day that he was going to be betrayed, he said this, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given it thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is exactly what it's talking about, about living today with the future in mind. Communion is a perfect example of how we enjoy the benefits, how we enjoy the blessings of the Lord today with a perspective of tomorrow. Because there's going to come a day sooner than what we realize that we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb and Jesus himself is going to be serving us communion. Can you imagine that? Can you even get your hands or your heart or your head around that? The fact that someday Jesus, who was the sacrifice, it was his blood on the cross, someday he is going to be administering communion to you and me personally. Now that makes me want to live today with that in mind. That gives me the intentional purpose of living today righteously and holy without compromise. Be passionate. Be convicted about your life. Not because you want to be good, but because you see the reward, the righteous reward that God put in place. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just take a minute now. Jackie, lead us in that song you're playing. And let's just take a minute and worship him this morning and thank him for his mercy and his grace.
Father, we just come before you today. We just leave this all on the altar today. God, we thank you for your mercy, your grace. Thank you for ministering to us as you did. God, we thank you for the word that you gave to us today. We pray, God, that it would go with us throughout this week, that it would be brought back, that we could apply it, we could chew on it. God, we could dwell on it. And Lord, that we would get into your word, God, and just learn from you more and more. We just, we just honor you today. We give you blessing. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed this morning as you go. The altars are open if you want to stay and pray.